So the situation in our world has been, of course, very alive for me, as I know it is for all of you and most people everywhere. What comes up for me in working with my own relationship with our world as it is right now is again and again that there is this crucial understanding of a life that is rich and meaningful that's not about neat and clean resolutions and things getting fixed the way we want it to be. Really, it's about how to live as well, as compassionately, as wisely with what is here instead. Being able to open up some way to to be with conditions that matters, that makes a difference. And that's not an easy place to do because the reactive mind can be so strong and pulling us into its kind of crazy vortex, but coming back to a sane, compassionate, wise, strong responsiveness, that takes a lot. Um, that's, that's asking a lot um, when conditions are challenging. And that's why we practice. I want my life to feel rich and meaningful no matter what's happening that's beyond my control. Um, um, and I want to be able to feel like I have a responsiveness to the world that matters, um, no matter what's happening that's beyond my control. So kind of thinking for my own self around, you know, what is it that allows me this shift of relationship with what is um, one thing that came back up for me is a poem I've shared many times. I'm sure um, most of you have heard before. It's a very often quoted poem now. Uh, and it's one of the few poems that I love and I always want to mess with. <laughs> I always kind of like want to get in there and work with. Um, um, because the way I first read it and the way I read it now are radically different. So this poem is autobiography in five chapters. And for those of you who um, don't know the background of the poem, it's written by a woman named Portia Nelson, uh, who was a Hollywood actress. And my understanding of the story, which I'm not going to stand by, <laughs> um, but my understanding is that she struggled with a um, cocaine addiction and wrote this poem as part of her recovery, um, which if that, that is accurate, um, is kind of a powerful way of, of hearing um, the poem. Autobiography in five chapters. <clears throat> Chapter one, I walk down the street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in, I'm lost, I'm hopeless. It isn't my fault, it takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. 
it still takes a long time to get out, to get out. Chapter three, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down another street. Great poem. <laughs> I think um, it speaks somehow with a deep hope to the process of practice with what is difficult in a way that many people find very empowering. It really is a very practical, endlessly useful orientation towards what needs attention in our lives, the holes in the sidewalk. So what I'm noticing, what needs attention right now in my life is fear both for the world and fear of the world. That needs deliberate attention. That is a hole in the sidewalk I can fall into that's not useful in a, in a way that is totally not useful. So I found this poem, it really gives a powerful foundation for finding the right orientation for being with what is here, um, for paying attention. And the way I understand that foundation now is radically different than the way I first understood this poem. When I first heard this poem, the way I heard it was a very straightforward linear progression that would get me out of all of the holes and onto new streets that had no holes, <laughs> onto smooth sailing street, easy street, um, potholeless street. <laughs> uh, and it was, it was really this longing for some sort of final, neat, clean resolution that fixed all problems and made all difficulties and challenges go away. If I could just find my way around this hole and onto that other street. And I gotta say, it really didn't take long to work with the poem. Uh, to find that that first understanding was really uh, limited um, and that real life really does never have that neat view and that that longing for that neat fix and resolution itself is another hole in the sidewalk, is just another place to fall into. So some of the ways I see this poem now First thing I want to say is, it also didn't take me very long to realize there's a whole chapter left out in this poem. <laughs> and there's, there's like a whole piece of a crucial, huge part of my experience of working with my holes in my sidewalk that's not named in this poem. So to go back to what I find missing. Chapter three, there's a hole in the sidewalk. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I can't even say it without kind of like laughing. I get out immediately. 
<laughs> like, wouldn't that be wonderful? As soon as I see the habit and I know it's a habit and I fall in it, all I have to do is wave the magic wand of mindfulness and boom, I'm out. <sighs> Isn't it um, um, rarely that clean and easy? There are moments, there are moments where suddenly I get what I'm doing and I have just sheer clarity and I do something different. And aren't those moments to be celebrated? But my reality is that those are few and far between. And what really happens, my chapter three, I still fall in as a habit, my eyes are open, I know where I am, it is my fault it still takes a long time to get out. And then that get out immediately, that's chapter four. What's been interesting is to learn to not rue, to not um, disdain, dislike, want to get rid of my chapter three it still takes a long time to get out of. To embrace, which is what it means, the full, the fullness of the journey, the messiness. Growth takes real time and a lot of wise effort. Wanting that instant fix, like I said before, is just wanting, uh, is simply to fall into another hole. I might have to hang out down in the hole for long enough. It, let me rephrase this. If I can hang out down in the hole long enough with my eyes open and I'm learning everything I can from being in that darkness, then I find a different way out of the hole and one that informs my life with a different kind of wisdom. So in terms of the whole I'm naming right now, fear for the world, fear of the world. What's it like to be willing to hang out with the fear? What's it like to be willing to allow some patience with the needed time it takes to meet fear well? So if I'm trying to rush this process to a new street, I can miss all the things I learn from being willing to be in the darkness with my eyes open. For example, uh, an old habit of mine with difficult situations, uh, and I've heard a lot of people name this, this is actually not an uncommon habit, um, would be I would have a hard situation and I would fantasize about some just perfect resolution to it. Um, some, some way that things were gonna perfectly line up the way I wanted and, and get fixed. It might be that it would be something that would just happen next week in, in just, just total perfection, or you know, it might take five or 10 years, but in the long run, it was just gonna be fine. There is a definite comfort and um, to some extent, I don't know that that's entirely not skillful. 
I think there's probably even a place for, for kind of imagining ahead um, a way that things work out. Um, so, so in that kind of first moment of the fantasy would be a, a sort of relief. But once I began to, feel, to figure out this is a hole in my sidewalk that I would fall into again and again. And I started to have my eyes open and I would look at the cost of this false reality that I was trying to live in virtually in my head. I began to understand it was disconnecting me from my life, that it was putting up walls between being able to be with what is here in a way that's useful and well, um, because I liked my virtual reality in my head better, uh, wanted to be there more than real life. It takes a lot of energy to hold out real life. Because of my willingness to see that, the cost of that false refuge started to become um, way too high. The comfort I got from it didn't pay out um, compared to the cost I was paying for it. So that was one, one benefit of my eyes open down in that whole habit for me. But another benefit was I get why we do this because I have examined in my own self and understood why I do this, why I go to this. So when I read a, a article yesterday, um, quoting a nurse from South Dakota, who was saying, even as people were dying in the ER on their last breath, they still could not accept that it was because of COVID, because COVID was a myth. That's like a tragic level, truly, truly, deeply tragic level of trying to get comfort from buying into a false reality. That's like taking it to its umpteenth degree. And because of my own experience of looking at where I, have, I can have a tendency to that, I didn't have any problem understanding why people go to that. And isn't it just huge fodder for compassion when we can understand how strong that desire for the false refuge can be? And how crazy making it can be for our world. So I like this quote from Matthew Sanford. He, um, as a very young man, I think he was 19, 21, I can't remember. Um, he was in a car accident that left him paralyzed from the waist down. Um, and the interview I heard was with him, um, Kristen Tippett on being. And he was talking about how he still has full range of emotions with his accident 10 years later or 15, 20, however long it was. But his, his responsiveness to his full range is totally different. He said, I'm not afraid of my sadness. My sadness is an incredible gift that allows me to be with people who are suffering without trying to fix them. When we can learn to be in our own darkness with compassionate eyes wide open and learning, it allows us to be with others in a way that's different.
my fear itself can become an incredible gift that allows me more easily to understand how others get caught up in fearful ways. When I first heard this poem, I also felt so inspired to find new streets. And that is kind of a deeply helpful, inspiring part of practice, this idea that there is um, um, a deeper kind of richness and meaningfulness that is possible, that this practice is gonna help us uncover. So again, nothing wrong with that, but when I get caught up in, I only want the new streets, I don't wanna hang out here, then that, that changes how I'm here. So for me now, this hunger for this linear progression to new streets is just far less important. Getting to chapter five, or even just getting out of the current hole I'm in as fast as I can, is actually so much less relevant than learning how to wake up to right where I am with compassionate heart, strong compassionate heart and clear wisdom, wide, right, wide open right here. There's that old saying, it's not the destination, it's the journey that matters. Said enough, it, it, it falls into cliche, but when we come back to its real meaning, there's a deep peaceful truth here. And there's an irony. The more I give up the destination of wanting all of those new streets, the more I'm allowing myself to be right where I am, the more that I find myself, whether I'm in a hole or off a hole or looking at a hole, all of it is simply a new street. All of it's relevant, all of it's worth it, all of it's meaningful. And life lived this way, everything that happens becomes this miraculous teacher. It offers what we need to know. And sometimes that's really, really, really hard. But I don't know a better way to deal with what's really hard than this. I don't know a way that allows me personally deeper space for healing, for growth, for peace, for that rich and meaningful, deep sense of connectedness to life, then embracing the whole of the journey. Until I don't always even do that well. Sometimes it's very messy <laughs> in the, the chapters and they're going this way and that way. And you know, that's just life. That's the way it is. So all of this really brings me to a different understanding of the word equanimity. When I first started this practice, if you had asked me what that word meant, I would assumed, I assume I would have said it was about getting to a place of perfect ease where nothing ruffled anything. Now to me, it's about knowing how to embrace the whole of the moment just as it is without needing it to be any different than it is. I love Shinzen Young's definition of equanimity. He calls it the radical permission to feel what we are feeling. 
And what is it like to feel what we are feeling without getting flipped into reactivity? But to be able to stay fully with feeling what we're feeling, that's challenging work and freedom. So I think I'm going to stop there and probably next week um, share more around Shinzen Young's um, view of equanimity because I find his, his orientation really helpful. So let's just pause and sit for a moment. Notice whatever you may notice, be noticing right now about holes in your sidewalk. What's your new usual relationship to them when they're here? What do you already know in your life about being down in one of the holes and finding a compassionate, wise, strong way to learn, to grow, to climb out with a different kind of wisdom and kindness? Listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is. In the boredom and pain of it, no less than the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments. And life itself is grace. Thank you.